Hello, and welcome to the Modern Day Rebels podcast, the podcast where we talk about the things we're not supposed to talk about. Have you ever felt that sinking feeling that you don't know what you're doing, but everyone else does? Or that you don't deserve the current role you're in? You're not alone. And in this episode, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome and what to do when it sneaks up on you. Hello, I'm your host, Julia Frank, and this week I'm joined by the wonderful Marielle, yoga teacher, life coach, and CEO of Kula TV. In this episode, we have an incredibly honest and open chat about the ways imposter syndrome shows up and what we can do to overcome it. We also talk about how we can embrace our weaknesses and vulnerabilities to find more meaningful connection in our lives. I am so excited to share this incredibly powerful episode with you. So here we go. Well, thanks so much for being on this podcast today, Mario. To start us off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what it is that you do? Cool. Thank you very much for having me. So I am a yoga teacher, a life coach, and most recently the CEO and co-founder of a company called Kula, Kula TV, which is a platform for teachers to be able to run their business online. So everything from monetizing their expertise, teaching live classes, recorded content, and and a mother. I feel like it's like a whole bundle of things. A mother and a wife. Yeah, and, yeah, and all the rest of it. Owners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So before we get started, why do you consider yourself as a modern day rebel or why might someone else? Okay. So really good question. I love it. And I could take this in so many different directions. I would say that I'm a modern day rebel in that I did the whole traditional career path and sort of pressure to make a a, a living uh, rather than live a life. And I mustered up the courage to drop it all without knowing where I was going next. So that took an insane amount of courage and I think led me down a path of being very much a modern day rebel. I would say also I'm a big believer in vulnerability and openness. I think vulnerability and and our ability to own our story and then be willing to share it so that others can feel that they have permission to to be who they are and and to own their stories is, is a big part of that. And then everything that sort of ties into being a yoga teacher and a life coach, I will caveat these that for me, it's a it's an ongoing journey, right? Like instead of spending all your time online, it's trying to work your way out of that. So kind of spending more time with your family, spending more time with yourself, meditating, moving your body, doing things that, that serve the inside rather than always being motivated by the outside. But that is definitely ongoing work. It's part of my journey. So speaking of journey, how did you kind of get to this point? Because you mentioned you, you, you left the entertainment inter- industry, you kind of quit your job. How did you find yoga, coaching, nutrition? What role did they play? So, wow, th- this could be a long one too. Um, my mother <laughs> is a yoga teacher. So she's been teaching yoga, crikey, for well over 15 years now. And my mother and I had a very fractured relationship growing up. And it wasn't until I left for university, I was very young, I was 16, uh, just turning 17, that our relationship changed. It's Funny, to be honest, it changed in that it wasn't so much mother-daughter, but it became something of a friendship starting over. And yoga healed that relationship to a great degree. So yoga became the thing that we did together whenever I'd come home to be with my family. So she introduced me to that path. So yoga's always been in my life, but to be honest, for me, it was something that I did to bond with my mom. It wasn't something that I did for myself, per se. And I always associated yoga with with my mom. That was her thing. So anyways, I, I spent 11 years in the entertainment industry, always with that kind of in the background. And at a very young age, probably my early 20s, I started seeing a therapist. So 
kind of that self-exploration for me happened early on, but I was incredibly disconnected and lost throughout my life. I spent most of my life moving. It meant that I was constantly readapting who I was. And I think for each time that I readapted or, or reinvented myself, I just grew further and further away from who I was and far too focused on what I assumed other people wanted me to be. So naturally, I get a job at Ford Models and you know I became like the coolest person in the world because I represented models, was invited to every major party in New York and LA. And it was fun for a while, but very hollow. And I, I grew depressed, moved to LA with Ford, uh, the modeling agency, and got swept into casting. I mean, it was just sort of like one thing after the other. And I was so hooked. I, was, I felt like my job identified who I was because I didn't know who I was. And there was just this incredible fear of, if I leave this, who am I? You know, if I lose the prestige, how will people see me? You know, will people still want to hang out with me if I'm not surrounded by models all the time? It's really sad to hear me say that out loud. But I spent, again, 11 years just kind of falling from one thing into another. And I was incredibly fortunate. When I went into casting, I was sort of handed this business and told to take it internationally. So I set it up in India and then came to the UK. By the end of it, I was running Europe and South Africa, at which point I believe I had just about turned 30. So I started young and here I was 30 years old and I had spent my life kind of going in this direction, which was sort of the prestige, the money, the comfortable life. And I kept asking myself, like, what is it that I want? And ironically, the big thing that I wanted was a family. So I was sort of looking at my life and it was kind of like the roads were going like this. And I was so far down this road. And I, I remember it very clearly. I was sitting in front of my desk one day and I felt like quicksand. It's the only thing that I can describe. I just felt like I was disintegrating, like I, I was disappearing. I just knew that what I felt was really wrong. And ironically, I asked my father for permission. Isn't it funny, 30 years old, still got the parental pressure there. And, and I told him, I'm like, look, I was so worried that he'd be disappointed in me. So about a year before I left, I'd sent him messages and I was like, I'm really unhappy. I'm really unhappy. Like something needs to change in my life. And that summer, I remember making sort of a commitment with the universe. And I was like, this has to stop. I choose me. I'm going to put myself first. I need to leave this job and I need to figure out what I want out of life. It was an actual like internal commitment of I choose me for the first time ever. And I know these things sound like fluff and they sound like magic or whatever, but I met my husband that summer. I left my job that summer and everything changed in, in wild ways to begin with. So I was medicated for ADD for 10 years. I ended up quitting that cold turkey, not realizing how dangerous that can be. Spent about three months of sleep. I went to the doctor because I had all these issues coming out of this job in entertainment. And I had gastritis, I had a hernia in my esophagus, and I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's. So my thyroid, I'm, I have hypothyroidism, most of which I could almost guarantee were stress-induced. And, it, and it's funny that you can be going down a path that's not even your passion, and it creates so much stress and anxiety in you. I, I don't know what I was trying to prove or where I was trying to get at. So I spent a good six months to a year sort of in recovery, working with a nutritionist, exploring things. Because when I left my job, that was all I knew. I studied history and Italian in school and then spent 11 years in entertainment. So when I left, I was like, where do I go from here? So I took graphic design courses. I started a travel blog. And I'd say about a year later, my mom calls me and she's like, look, 
you finally have time on your hands in between Ford models and this casting job. I had a momentary idea, and it's funny because I told a few people and they're like, don't do that. I had a momentary idea of becoming a yoga teacher in between. So that was five years and then six years. So six years before I came, became a yoga teacher, I had that notion in my head. And of course, swayed by people's reactions, I didn't do it because everyone's like, oh God, not another yoga teacher. Or, you know, how are you going to live being a yoga teacher? Six years later, my mom's like, look, you're not doing anything now. It's a great thing to have under your belt. Should you ever get pregnant? Should you want to make pocket money? Should you want to do it as a part-time, a hobby? I had still been practicing yoga all these years. And it's funny because I, I decided to do it, but I went into it. You can ask everyone on my training. I was probably one of the only people that was adamant that I was never going to be a teacher. I was like, there's no way that I'm coming out of this teaching. So I took it rather half-assed, if I'm honest. Like my teacher training, I was kind of like, I'm not going to teach. It's fine. But it was a wonderful, a wonderful experience. And I came out of that experience, not in, again, not intending to teach. A few months went by and another idea, and I really do believe that life gives you breadcrumbs if you're willing to kind of pay attention. I don't know how it came into my head or who brought it to my attention, but I, I started to become really interested in coaching. And again, as if by magic, I kept meeting people that were leading me in this direction. I remember being on holiday with my husband and I was seated next to a life coach. And I remember looking at him and saying, can you explain to me the difference between coaching and therapy? And he was like, well, you know, coaching helps a flower to blossom and therapy pulls out the weeds. And I was like, that's it. Like, I, I'm ready to do this because I'd spent so many years in therapy kind of going through the same cycle of why I was the way I was, how I ended up getting here, my family, my upbringing, et cetera, that it was almost creating a bit of a victim mentality. And I just kept getting pulled into my past, whereas I wanted to move forward. I was, I was kind of done with the past. And so I did, my, I did my coaching training towards the end of that year that I had done my, my yoga teacher training. And as I'm doing this training, I trained with Coactive Coaching, CTI. As I was finishing this foundations course, I was offered a job at a studio, at a yoga studio. And had that not have landed sort of on my lap, I would have never taken it. But because it was kind of offered, like, you should go and try for this, they're looking for teachers, and I got the job, that was kind of the beginning of, of all of it. I, I decided I'd give it a try. I figured I'd do yoga as a way to find new coaching clients. And then I just fell wildly in love with both yoga and coaching and how well they go together. And it's funny, I ended up doing my health coaching certification after that through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition. And all of those things combined became Mindful Sonder. It became my idea of a holistic approach to well-being and how I wanted to, I had sort of found my, my purpose for the first time in my life. I, two years before I did these trainings, so just as I'd left my job, if you had asked me what my purpose was, I would tell you I was one of those people that didn't have one. I was just dead set on my life. And it sounds awful, like it's, it's uh, my life had purpose, like I wanted to live and I was happy, but that deep desire to do something, you know, they, they describe purpose. The deep why. Yes, exactly. They describe purpose as talent plus what you give back to the world kind of e equals purpose. Forever I had this deep desire to give something back. I just didn't feel like I had anything to give at that point. But fast forward and all of a sudden I realized that my whole life experience 
was essentially preparing me to be able to help other people in a similar place. So I spent most of my life struggling with loneliness. I battled with depression. I battled with body dysmorphia. Most importantly, I think I battled with not loving myself. Until I was 30, I literally did not like myself, which is a really crazy thing to consider that you can spend so much of your life feeling that way about yourself. And naturally that impacted everything around me, my relationships, my friendships, my career. So it's now become very much my mission to create a safe space to, to help cultivate connection, community. Uh, I really want to bring like-minded people together and I want us all to realize that we're not alone. All of these things that we go through in our lives, we think we're so alien and we're so unique. Uh, it, I mean, we are obviously all very unique, but our situations aren't that unique. A lot of the psychological battles that we have, we're so trapped by our minds. So yeah, it's become a really big thing for me to be able to help people come together and, and not feel what I felt most of my life. One of the things you've said that's really powerful in an interview was you were asked about kind of your, your personal achievements. And you said, you know, learning to love myself, believing in myself and valuing myself. And there was a moment you referred to of choosing you. And I'm kind of interested, was there an aha moment? What, what was that like last little nudge that brought you to that? Yes, I am choosing myself. I'm going to go on this journey and really find and figure out how to, how to love myself and how to value myself. You know, there, there definitely was a moment, I, I think a culminating, I, I can vaguely remember the moment. I can't, I can't tell you like that specific, but you know, I, I'm reading a book right now called Enough. And that's basically what happens. You hit a point where enough is enough. I think I'd just been fighting myself for so long and I'd been unhappy for so long. And I'd just been constantly experiencing the same repetitive patterns and situations. And when I turned 30, so this was the first time that I remember actually thinking, I love myself too much to keep doing this. You know, at, that was what, like, I think I shocked myself by having that realization of like, oh, I actually do love myself enough to like say no. It's kind of like that saying that sometimes learning who we're not is like the first step towards learning who we are. I was so unhappy at that time in my life. I was in a very bad relationship. It was a very sort of narcissistic counter. And I think narcissistic people deal well with people with insecurity. And I had epic insecurities. I had, you know, lost another female friendship. Fem female relationships have been a struggle for me for a lot of my life because of my experience with my mom. It was just sort of everything catapulting together. And I was miserable in my job. So I, I, there was that moment of, if I could think of anything, it was the word enough. I, I had had enough. And I think it was that realization that I had had enough that made me realize that I did genuinely love myself underneath it all. I had just really gone so far away from myself that I, I couldn't even see who that person was. And I believe this was when I was about 30, 31. And that was the beginning of, again, when I told my dad, I'm unhappy, something needs to change. So it took a year still after that for, for me to make that commitment and that decision, because it was scary as hell. I really didn't know what to do with myself if I didn't do what I was so used to and to have the comfort of that salary and, and all the rest of it. So I would say that it, it took baby steps, but it was, it was a long time coming. And it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. And, and again, as much as I knew that I loved myself, there's still that shadow work that needs to happen. So there were still parts of me that I was very, I was hiding from. 
So there were parts of me that I didn't want to see. So even though I loved myself, I think I was a little bit picky. <laughs> so, you know, like there's that notion of like, I love myself, but I hate these things about me. And what I've been learning over the years is that you've really got to love the whole self the and you've really got to look at that shadow and understand it and learn to work with it. Because otherwise that's the, that shadow is what makes you hate yourself because it's subconscious, right? So anytime you get into an argument with someone, anytime you feel triggered, that shadow pops up and it takes control. And all of a sudden you don't know yourself anymore because you don't know the shadow. And you're like, why am I this person? I hate that I'm this way. Why do I get so angry? Why am I so emotional? Why am I so sensitive? That's your shadow. And it's because you don't have a relationship with that shadow and you feel out of control. So it's, you know, again, it's been a long journey for me to get to that point. But those early glimpses of, of light at the end of the tunnel happened when I was in my early 30s. It's interesting, too, kind of talking about that shadow, because one of the things you refer to once you started having your own business with Mindful Sonder is that need to prove yourself again. And almost this like weird double standard that happens a lot in the well-being industry of like, well, we're teaching other people how to, yeah. you know, really value time and, and all of these things and take care of yourself. But actually, it's so much pressure put on yourself there. Wow. You are just with all the good questions. This is something, and I hope it doesn't come across the wrong way for anyone that's listening, but you will find that usually it's the yoga teachers and the therapists and the people that are so keen to give back that have the most amount of work to do on themselves. Whether they've done that work or not before they become teachers is kind of like the big question. But I would say what's fascinating is by putting yourself in that position where you can influence other people or impact other people. One, you're constantly learning. Gonna bring up the imposter syndrome conversation for sure, but I think what's what's really interesting is when we first become teachers, I'll give my personal experience because I don't wanna sort of group teachers into this, but when I first became a teacher, I have struggled with people-pleasing and perfectionist tendencies my whole life. A lot of it stems from, again, just not knowing myself. So I was constantly looking at others for validation. I was constantly looking outside of myself to get that, yes, you're on the right track, you're doing good, because I was so disconnected from the inside. What becomes massively problematic when you have people-pleasing and perfectionist tendencies is the tiniest notion that you're off track or that you've done something wrong or that something's not perfect throws you into a downward spiral of, I'm not good enough. There's something wrong with me. I, you know, I have to work even harder. I have to do, do, do more. Like that's the epitome of, of, you know, when we talk about yoga, we're so trained to do more, but in reality, we need to be more and do less. And that's something that I think we all struggle with. And here's the hard thing, and it's the reality in any field that you are in. Being a teacher, you're kind of under the pressure of health and wellness, but you've got this in anything that you're new to, there's this feeling of, gosh, there's so many other people doing this and they've got so much more experience than me and they've been training for so much longer. You know, who am I to think that I can do this? Who am I to say that I'm a teacher? Who am I to say that I'm an actor? Who am I to say that I'm a whatever it is that, that you're aspiring towards? And that's where sort of imposter syndrome really wants to, to take over. And I, I think for me as a teacher, I was so desperate for everyone to like me. I was so desperate for everyone to come out of my classes like high-fiving. And I remember that first time, and it was early on, where I had someone just get up and walk out of my class. 
it tore me to pieces. I was like, I am the worst teacher in the world. It ended up being that they had something totally personal. Like they, they, they were on their own. It had nothing to do with me, but it just sent me on this crazy downward spiral. But I think the beauty of the path I've chosen to go down is that everything's an opportunity for awareness and for self-improvement. You know, that, that was my lesson that I was too attached to the ego, that I was too, again, when you don't own your story, when you don't own your truth, when you don't come from a place of authenticity, you're constantly concerned with what's going, what the reaction will be on the outside. And this is where, as humans, we need to learn to find the balance between what we can control and what we can't. We cannot control people judging us. It's going to happen. We can't control their experience. You know, we, we, we can do our best, but how they take that experience is up to them. Those are things that are out of our control. So what's important is what can you control? Being authentic, you know, sticking to your truth, trying your best, showing up again and again and again and again, no matter how many times you have to show up, fall down, pick yourself up, try again. Those are things that you can control. And I think that's where the journey gets exciting. I think if you're always looking at things through a lens of what's this moment trying to teach me and always remembering that we all have to start somewhere, right? We all have to have that courage over comfort, put ourselves out there, be in the arena and give it our best shot, especially if you're pursuing your passion. You know, if you're just you know, nine to fiving it and just trying to get by. I hope you still show up in your own way and I hope you're still bringing passion to what you do. But I think the trouble about following your passion is that it's personal, right? I'm a very creative person and when I sequence in yoga, I sequence creatively. You know what the biggest challenge with being creative is? That you're constantly being vulnerable because people might not like what you have to give. If I was sticking to a set sequence, man, I could nail it. You know, after five years of teaching, I'd be like, I've, I know that like the back of my hand. But if every day, you know, you're coming into something and, and bringing your heart and, you know, your authentic truth, then, then you need to feel confident inside because otherwise the outside noise will, will kill your passion, will suck that, that dream away. That's why I loved the way that you rephrased it. Because that statement, fake it till you make it, really bothers me because it assumes you're a fake, right? You're a fraud. And you've rephrased that into face it till you make it kind of getting up. And I really want to kind of talk more about imposter syndrome because it's something you talk a lot about and kind of how it's holding us back from opportunities because a lot of times limiting beliefs are so much easier to believe than kind of the opportunity. And the motto that I don't know where this quote comes from, but the motto that you kind of say is the sky is not the limit you are. So kind of diving into that, I'd be really interested in hearing, you've already talked a little bit about kind of your journey with it, but how you're now helping others overcome imposter syndrome and step more into that kind of opportunity and getting out there. Absolutely. I love that quote, the sky is not the limit you are, because it's it's so true. And it's really interesting. I read this article, God, I'm terrible with, with names, but in it, they were talking about how the limits that we set on ourselves create our individuation. So as human people, we become individuals, like we, be, we, what separates us are the limits that we set for ourselves. And I thought that that was so incredibly powerful because the truth is, I love the reality that someone will always say it's not possible until somebody else goes and does it. Who draws that line? And it's, it's really ourselves. And I think 
Imposter syndrome, I believe the statistic, at least in the US, is that 70% of people struggle with imposter syndrome. I would argue that everybody struggles with imposter syndrome to some degree. I mean, you can't imagine Mark Zuckerberg in, in Congress or something thinking like, I know what I'm talking about or doing here. Like, we're, we must all hit a point where we're like, how the hell did I get here? And I really hope they don't think I'm a fraud. But that's because there's no way on earth that we could know it all, do it all, be it all. We've got this notion in our heads, I, at least I say this for myself, but we're, we're constantly reaching for, uh, my Spanish is coming in here, a myth that we're like, try, we're reaching for this goal that keeps going farther and farther away. And I feel like as humanity, we're all sort of chasing that one same goal, not realizing that we're all in the same boat. In our heads, we assume that somebody's got it all figured out. Somebody knows everything that they're doing. And it's funny, when it comes to imposter syndrome, again, I, I really apologize, I can't remember her name, but there's a doctor that categorized five different types of high achievers. Dr. Valerie Young. Thank you. I knew you'd have it there. She characterized, and the, the imposter syndrome is very much tied to a high achiever mentality. So the first and most obvious one being the perfectionist. Perfectionists are those people that have to do everything and they have to do it right because any sign of not getting it perfectly right, you're a fraud. I'm a perfectionist for sure. There's the soloist, people that are like, I cannot ask for help. Like if I ask for help, then it means that I'm not good enough. I can't tell you how many moms I talk to that feel like that. That's what actually I was going to ask as like, as a mom, a wife, the CEO of a company. Oh man. And let me bring it back a notch because I haven't even talked about being CEO of a company. I've never been, <laughs> I've never been CEO of anything before other than Mindful Sonder, which was just me. And agreeing to take on that role was definitely, it was something I wanted to do, but I knew coming into it that when I spoke with investors, when I was dealing with my team, I had massive imposter syndrome. I literally, and, and I had to talk it out with a lot of people because I was constantly afraid that they were looking at me going, oh, here's this little yoga teacher, doesn't know what she's talking about. Not to mention that like some of the language people were using, I, I, it just wasn't my area of knowledge. And I had to go through some very, very big rough patches because I'm a very sensitive person and the overwhelm consumed me, but it was my own overwhelm. And it was because I wasn't being honest with what I didn't know. You know, I'm stepping into this role. So what became something incredibly important for me was for me to say, this is what I do know. This is what I don't know. What I don't know, I will work towards, but as a team, we all need to support each other because in anything that you're doing, there are gonna be things, there are gonna be those gaps. And if we can't ask each other for help, if we can't lean on each other, then you're going at it alone. And at some point you're gonna trip and fall and it's gonna hurt. And there's not gonna be anyone else there to pick you up. That's the soloist. That's like, I need to do everything and I need to do it right. And I started the CEO role as a soloist. I'm like, I need to do everything. and I. I I was so tired. I was exhausted, imagine, as like a new mom as well. And here's the hard thing for women that are trying to be moms and also do a job. You can't do both full-time, period. Parenting alone is the hardest job in the world. But add to that having a career, you have to be okay with leaning on people. You have to be okay with asking for help. So all of these experiences for me have been massive lessons in imposter syndrome. and. 
what I would say is, as with everything, the more aware we become, the easier it is to move forward. So the more that you can watch your behavior and say, all right, not great. I don't like the way that I behaved in that situation, but I understand what's happening here. I'm feeling insecure and I'm feeling, I am assuming that I am being judged because let, you never know if someone's judging you or not. And I think what I need to do is openly talk about this. That's where vulnerability comes in, right? If you can be open and honest with your team and say, guys, I'm really struggling with a role I've never done before, but I know that I, I can be good at this. I know I have a lot to bring to the table. Like, can you guys help me? Because I think I'm gonna need a little bit of support in the areas that I don't know. And let me tell you, I have a COO who is a firecracker. I mean, that girl's a rocket. And everything that I can't do, she compliments me on. And let me tell you what a relief that is to have someone by your side that I don't feel like I have to do what she's doing because I need to prove that I can do all of it. I've let go of all of that. I'm like, you know what? You love that. I'm not very good at that. So why don't you do that and I'll do this. And together we are a, an incredible team. I, my co-founder as well, we're such different personalities, but if we can lean on each other for our strengths and support each other for our weaknesses, imagine what kind of a team we've got now, you know? As opposed to each of us trying to prove to the other that we're, you know, worthy and good enough. And that's where, and that's also where I feel like the toxic environment that you have in corporate. For Kula, it's really, really important for me to be able to bring everything that I've learned through yoga, through coaching, back into the workplace. Because I made a commitment when I left my last job that I would never work in the corporate world again because I literally feel like it killed me. Like I feel like a piece of me died while I was doing that. It makes me so happy to see so many companies now popping up about corporate wellness. Like trying, like how happy are your employees and what can you do to make them feel happier? Looking after their mental health. Brené Brown on leadership, I mean, those are the things that are gonna change the way we work as people. And I think that's really exciting. And how exciting that we now have things like a passion economy where people can actually live off of what they love to do. And let me tell you, everyone is investing in that right now. I speak to investors regularly for Kula, we just raised last year. Everyone wants a piece of the passion economy. And we never had that before. Like if we look at our parents, our grandparents, I even remember when I was in school, it was still very linear. Like, what are you gonna be when you grow up? Are you gonna be a doctor? Are you gonna be an accountant? Are you gonna be a, like there were very few options. I felt I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was in university, which is why I studied history. And I think it's exciting that we're now starting to explore the possibility that you can embrace creativity, you can embrace passion and have a livelihood from that. And this is coming from someone that has ADD. And I really think education systems are still too square and they don't cater to people that think in different ways. I have a very creative mind. I can express myself creatively and beautifully, but if you put me into like maths and science, I feel stupid because I, it, my brain just, I, I switch off. We're very fortunate to live in a world where if you have something you love, you can, you can really take it places. 
One of the things I want to circle back to is kind of these five personality types, because when I heard about imposter syndrome initially, I always only ever thought of perfectionism. But I also kind of didn't necessarily, although I am a perfectionist, I would see a more kind of the the expert, which is one of them as well as like this constant need. I need another qualification. I need to do another course. I need another certificate. Well, you know what's hysterical? If you look at some of these companies that are selling for like billion pound valuations, whatever, there, there are kids in their 20s. They have not got any certification. I mean, these are people who are like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do something I love. I'm going to wing it. I mean, you know, and, and I think as a yoga teacher, let me tell you, yoga teachers are constantly, oh, I'll teach once I get this next certification. Oh, I'll teach once I, I study this one thing. Oh, I'll, nothing will make you good at what you do, but doing what you want to do, period. I mean, you can take all the certifications in the world, but until you apply it, you are never going to be as good as you could be. So that expert, man, I can relate 100%, but I do think those are the moments where you have to be aware and catch yourself. What will you have with that extra certificate that you don't have now, other than a piece of paper? And maybe a little bit of understanding, but you know, while you're busy getting that other certification, this other person's already gone off with your idea, right? Like someone else has gone and done it because you said you weren't ready or it wasn't possible. Those personality types are amazing. I know the last one was like supermen and superwomen. And there's also natural genius. Natural genius. Natural genius was the only one that I didn't really feel I related to 100% just because I don't consider myself a natural genius. But natural geniuses are people that are really good at things. Life comes quite, you know, certain things in life come naturally to them. So if they find something that requires more effort than they're used to, that's when they have imposter syndrome. They're like, oh my God, I'm not smart enough. It's unfortunately probably children when they were little that were told, you're just the smartest person in the world. Can you, do you know how much pressure, how much weight that is for a little child to carry throughout their life? Like, oh my God, I need to be the smartest person in the world. It's those little messages that as parents, unfortunately we give, I tell my daughter every day, I'm like, you're the most beautiful girl. I I have to catch myself because I don't want her growing up thinking that that's what matters, that that's what got me to love her was because she's beautiful. Yeah. I wonder if how that relates to growth mindset, almost this whole praising talent versus hard work of like, oh, you're so naturally good at this. You're so naturally organized versus like, oh, you've worked really hard for this. Absolutely. And I think that's so important because let me tell you another thing, another great book is Grit. And the fabulous thing about this book is in all the research that they've done, it really doesn't matter how smart you are. So all of you experts out there, listen carefully. Like it really doesn't matter how smart you are. It's how badly you want it and how hard you work at getting it. So it's that combination of like perseverance and resilience with a growth mindset. That's what makes successful people successful. It's not that they were the smartest people in the world. It's not that they were like the most gifted or the most honored in school or the highest grades. It's people that genuinely are like, you know what? This is a calling from my soul and I'm going to put everything into it and I'm going to fail, but I'm going to pick myself up and I'm going to go again. And that's the face it till you make it. You just keep coming at it. You keep coming at it. And That's what gets us the experience that we need to be good at what we do. But let me tell you, there's always going to come a point in your life where someone mentions something that you just don't know. And I think that's where vulnerability, again, comes into play. We can't know it all. Whatever it is, whatever aspect of your career it is, 
When you don't know, be upfront about it. I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm not trained as a physio, so your specific injury, I can give you my recommendation, but I don't personally know enough about that. I would suggest you go see a physio. Uh, you know, whatever it is that, that you're approaching. And I think that's where we can start to learn to battle imposter syndrome, is that we can catch ourselves. We can, we have voices, we all, we all do. In coaching, sometimes they call them saboteurs. And it's those little voices that are there to protect you. They're like defense mechanisms, but what they do is they hold you small. Hello, limiting beliefs, right? They're the ones that are like, oh, I don't think you should do that because you know there's a really big chance you might not get it and that that's gonna suck. And I think we need to start catching those voices and say, I might not get it, but the next time I will. And it's okay, like I, I'm watching what's happening, I'm seeing what's happening. I'm gonna counter it, like who's to say I won't get it? Is that 100% true? No, it's not? Okay, then I'm gonna go get it. We have to start working with that toolbox. We gotta start adding to that toolbox so that when those voices pop up, we know how to address them. And that's when that quote, the sky's not the limit you are, really comes into play because it's all about you. Yeah, it's funny. This um, My husband and I watched this movie a while back. I think it was called Love Berlin. And one of the quotes was like, it all comes down to 50-50. You either get it or you don't, which obviously is not really how statistics work. But I quite like that mentality of like, either it's a yes or a no. Yeah. And just kind of going for it because everything's really a number game and just and just kind of keep at it. The last thing I wanted to talk about before we round things off is You've talked a little bit about Kula, and I really want to talk about the power of community and especially during these times, finding digital ways to connect, authentic ways to connect places where people can be vulnerable. And I think, you know, I'm part of, of your community, which is why I'm so happy to have this conversation because some of these topics keep coming up as well. And yeah, I just kind of wanted to know your approach to building them, how you have gone about kind of building it? Because I think communities are just, well, we'll build a community. And it actually is not as simple <laughs> as just saying, well, we'll have a we'll have a Facebook group, for right. example. Well, here's the interesting thing. So when we first started building Kula, the idea came up and started before it was pre-COVID. And when COVID happened, we realized that there was a greater need. And for me and, and for our very small team at the time, it became really important for us to be able to empower teachers in a way that they hadn't had the opportunity to before. And I, I've shared this often. I'm 100%, I feel like I always have to like say this before. I, I'm all for studios, like my studio is my second home. I, I, Kula is not trying to replace or get rid of studios in any capacity. But when we were looking at teachers as individuals, the trouble with yoga teachers and the and the yoga community as a whole is that we've always been independent contractors. We've always worked with studios as the middlemen. Whenever I went into teach a studio class, I had no idea who was attending. So I, I didn't know my students' names unless they came up to me to speak with me. The only way that I could engage with them afterwards was if they shared information or connected on Instagram now. So each individual teacher's one business, but two community didn't really exist. For me, it didn't pre-COVID. And it was actually probably the biggest blessing that's come out of a very difficult time was that all of a sudden with COVID happening, I was now getting direct access to my student community because they were coming to me to find my classes. And I don't know what, it, what 
compelled me to do it. And I actually was worried that people would not want to be a part of it because, you know, WhatsApp groups can be annoying. But we started this WhatsApp group. Initially, sort of my, my most regular students, my, my more sort of loyal people. And it was all about me. It was all about me. I was like, I'm teaching tomorrow and this, this, that, and the other. And I remember very well, I was in Mexico last year and I had a moment and we must have, I, I think maybe a topic came up and people started getting involved in the conversation. It was a very vulnerable topic and it took a lot of courage for some people to speak up and give their input on it. I believe actually at that time it was about eating disorders. And I remember I was having a shower and I was like, this community can't be about me. Like one, it's icky. Like it's really like, come join, like it's all about me. Let me like promote my class again. It's essentially a newsletter, just WhatsApp. Uh, totally. I was like, I, it actually would make me cringe. But when that conversation started, I was like, all right, this is different. I was like, this needs to be a community about the community. It's not about the teacher, but it's about the people that are joining. And I want it to be a safe space. People can ask things, people can say things, people can promote their own things. It's not about me. Like, yes, I, I share my stuff all the time, but it's become so much more than that. And we now have a beautiful community. And I find it really interesting because to a certain degree, I feel like people right now almost feel more comfortable sharing in that community than they do with people close to them. And there's something about one, knowing that you're in a safe space with other people experiencing something similar. So it's the willingness to open up and share your story, which I think is at the crux of everything. Like if you can open up, own your story, share your story, you are gonna meet other people that feel the same way you do, that connect with you on such a deep level. And that's gonna change connection, community, humanity, really. That's honestly where I think the Mindful Sonder WhatsApp group became something very different because I think all of a sudden people felt that they could share, whereas sometimes in your home environment, even your partner, your family, they're not willing to be quite as open or as understanding. And I think that's why perhaps people were starting to feel like they needed a safe space to share where they didn't feel judged by people that knew them well. And what's happened is I really feel like we've created a group of people that really like love each other and don't even know each other. Isn't that kind of crazy? Like we've actually, mm -hmm. I don't think hardly anyone in that group has really ever met each other before. And so the next step in that is obviously in a COVID world, we want to start doing sort of virtual gatherings where people can get to know each other a little bit better, where we can start sharing more of our stories, creating more of like a women's circle, not that it's just about women, but there's more women in my group than, than men. And yeah, I think that's, COVID has changed the way we look at community. And I think it's done so for many reasons, but the biggest one being that it's now taken away what we assumed was community and what we assumed was right. I really do think we weren't on the right track in a pre-COVID world. I, I remember saying this last year, but we were quite isolated before being forced into isolation. We sit on trains commuting to work and everyone's looking at their phone. I can't tell you, I would step on buses and trains massively pregnant. People wouldn't even look up to give me their chair. Like we are very disconnected and we have been for a long time and we're heading down a rather dangerous path of we're, we're too connected, but in a very disconnected way. And I think that COVID's given us an opportunity to reassess the things that matter to us. I am not a big fan of small talk. I am not a big fan of like, 
socializing. I'm, I'm actually, despite being an extrovert in, in what I do professionally, I'm very introverted and I'm very protective of my energy and my time because I, I am very sensitive and I get drained very easily. So for me, I want meaningful connection in my life. I don't want small chit chat. I don't want energy vampires. And that's what I'm hoping to cultivate with my community within Mindful Sonder and what I'm hoping to cultivate on a larger scale with my team at Kula and with Kula as a business. I want it to be about community. How can we create tools that make joining, meeting up online more enjoyable and more personable? Like one of the big conversations that we've been having internally as a business is how this online world is causing a higher rate of body dysmorphia because for the first time in our lives, we're talking to ourselves. I'm looking at myself right now as I'm talking to you, whereas normally mm -hmm. I would just be looking at you and fully focused on you. And the more we're seeing ourselves, I mean, it's also terrible because there's all these filters that are kind of like telling you, you don't look good, so let's cover it up. And I really do think that we need to be so careful because I think there are amazing ways for people to connect now. I think there's an accessibility that's global. Like you can, can, you can connect with people from around the world, which is wonderful. But we have to be very careful with, you know, Zoom fatigue, with what it's like for people with eating disorders or body dysmorphia to be constantly seeing themselves on a camera. What kind of a message we're sending to our children with all of these filters and, and things that are telling you you need to look different to how you, how you are. I really do hope that this sort of COVID era is an opportunity to change our consciousness. I think I, I shared this in, in class and in my 30-day challenge, but it's stuck with me literally since I read it. I, I'm reading A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, and in it he talks about the translation of original sin. It was in ancient Greek, and sin meant missing the mark. And so he's like, to sin actually means that you're missing the point of life. And we've been sinning for all of humanity. I think we really do miss the point. And we miss the fact that we are all one, that everything is interconnected. And we've allowed our mind to, to lean into its delusion. And that's why we're sort of plagued with greed and power and war and murder and all these horrible things that happen in the world. But there are moments of awakening and I get excited to think that at least for my individual part, I'm such a small part of this universe, but if I can have a positive impact, if I can improve my consciousness, my perception of me and, and who I am in this world, and maybe have an, a positive impact on my community, then we're raising the world's vibration, right? We're, we're hopefully reaching a higher consciousness together. That's what I genuinely believe to be my, my mission in this life. There's, I mean, we could chat for hours on topics like that, <laughs> I but know. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. To wrap things up, I always like to ask five questions. The first one being, and I think this one might be a little bit difficult to pick, uh, what book changed your life or shifted your mindset? Ooh, the first one, the first, first one I'd say was The Alchemist. And I need to read it again because I read it probably about five years ago when this whole journey started. But yeah, The Alchemist is a big one. Uh, the Four Agreements, anything by Brené Brown. Brené Brown is like my girl. I, I'm like obsessed with her. I've read all of her books. I like to think I'm her number one fan, but I'm pretty sure everyone says that. So I won't, <laughs> I won't say that, but I am her number one fan. I love revisiting books that were meaningful at one point in time and like coming back to them with a different perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, 100%.
The second question is, what are your sources of strength and or inspiration? My husband, he is a, I, I always say this, he's either a very new soul or a very old soul, but he's a beautiful soul. He's a beautiful being and a very good person. And I feel like he keeps me accountable. He's the first person that I genuinely feel like loved me for me, like faults and everything. And he continues to, like he, he, knows, he knows my shadow but he keeps me kind of headed toward the light, which, which, yeah, he's definitely my, my strong, my biggest source. Amazing. And what is your secret to success? Face it till you make it. (laughs) (laughs) I I, honestly, I think if, if you love something, just go for it with everything that I've done. I've never really known necessarily the end goal, but I've known that I really do enjoy what I'm doing. And there's a thin line between pushing yourself too hard and knowing when you need to rein it in a bit. Cause I'm quite good at like going until I break and then resting and then going again until I break and then resting. Anything that comes from a place of truth becomes easier and, and it makes sense. There's no doubt or question. I think you, you, just, you just do it and you keep doing it. And that's why I, I agree. I love, I love face it till you make it because it's, it's so bang on. It's, we just got to keep facing life, right? And at some point we realize like, yeah, this feels right. And we stay on that track. And following on from that, what is your definition of success? My de- oh wow, that's a heavy one. You know what? I, I think a life of fulfillment, and I mean that in every. I, I want to be fulfilled in my family life. You know, I, I want to feel like we spend time together. That there's a lot of laughter, a lot of joy, a lot of honesty, deep, meaningful conversations. Fulfillment in my friendships. It, you know, again, same thing. I don't need a ton of friends, but the ones that I do have, I want to feel like. We, we connect on a very deep and, and personal level. Career-wise, success is just doing what you love. I think, who was it that said it? I think it's Albert Einstein. But it's like creativity is work that's fun, you know? My job is fun. And I think that to me is success. When you, when you genuinely wake up and you're like, I'm ready for the day and I'm looking forward to what it brings, I think that's, that's success to me. Amazing. And last question, what advice would you have liked to hear when you started to live life a little differently? You know what? I always find this one hard and I keep thinking of my mom. I am a very firm believer that we need to walk our own path. So I could give you advice as a mother and you wouldn't take it because you needed to learn it yourself. And I think I'm going to stick with that because I really do. I look back on my life and let me tell you, it was hard. It was lonely. Uh, it's been long, fortunately. I'm, I'm very grateful. But there's been so much, but I wouldn't change any of it because it brought me to where I am today. And I needed, I needed that experience. My mom warned me of so many things, gave me so much advice that I didn't take. And I, I couldn't have because I, I needed to experience it for myself. So enjoy the journey. Amazing. If people want to find out more about you, where can they find you? So they can find me at www.mindfulsonder.com. My Kula page is kula.tv slash mindfulsonder, which is linked through my website. And on Instagram is mindfulsonder. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If this episode inspired you in any way, please do share it with your friends as the more we talk about the things we're not supposed to talk about, the more we can challenge the conventional. You can find all the links mentioned throughout the episode in the show notes. And if you would like to receive more resources directly to your inbox, you can sign up to the newsletter. See you in two weeks.